Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. Welcome to another edition of Pound Time Podcast. I am Brother L. Diazobra, formerly named Lyman White. Thank you for joining us today. Today we are doing a, our special segment, and we got a very special young man here. We are, we are honored, we're enthused, we're excited to have the legendary, the great, the infamous Coach Dale Brown. Azobra, your whole show could be summed up. We can stop right now and concentrate on it. Stand up and be counted. That's one of the major problems people have. Silence has always been evil's greatest ally. And whenever evil and good compromise, evil always wins. I've been knowing you for quite some time. And I want to start in your days when, when you told me about a story when you was in North, growing up in North Dakota. What it was, Minot? How you pronounce that? How you pronounce that name? Minot. Minot, North Dakota. And you say that was, uh, your, your mother was on welfare. That's correct. And the welfare people came by the, and you didn't like the way they handled your mother. And that, and from that day forward, you decided you was going to fight and better your situation. You know what you just did? I'm 86 years old. I was 10 years old when that happened. I sat there. I came home for soup. My mother was abandoned, and I was abandoned two days before I was born by my biological father. Never wrote, never called. I'm not complaining, and I don't hate him. He's dead now anyway. Never gave us any money. My mother moved from the farm, had to move into a one-room apartment of a bar and a hardware store. We had no bathroom, no shower, no toilet, no bed. I never slept in a bed for 21 years. She had a little bed that pulled out from the wall. The nicest human being you ever want to meet in your life. Every Sunday, she'd come home with this lady friend of hers. They'd have their cocoa and cinnamon toast. And at the time, now you're going to think, he is dumber than I thought. Her name was Mrs. Otto Ann Danielson. Now, mine, it's a little town. It probably had 20, 25 black Americans. Guess what my mother brought home for lunch? This is Otto and Danielson. I watched that. I saw how they bonded. So now I come home for lunch. There's a welfare worker intimidating my mother. You know, Mrs. Brown, she said, we give you at welfare $42.50 a month. And she says, last month, and I'm watching her eating this soup, watching this woman. She said, and last month you spent $13 on Digitalis. I had no idea what Digitalis was. It was a heart medicine. My wife had a, my mother had a heart problem. And she says, can't, can't he get a job? He, like I'm a dog. And I remember looking at her, just anger inside me. She's go get your purse. My mother starts to cry. So she sits down, she takes that purse apart. I remember sitting there, never again, 10 years old, will I ever see anybody intimidated in any way that I won't stand up and be counted. Now, four months later, I'm ready to attack. I come home. My mother is really nervous. She's wringing her hands. Sit down, son. I used to, couldn't afford a basketball. 
So I'd take mittens, put tape on them, and shoot in the hot water pipes in the hall. Now, you're too young to probably know what linoleum is. It's a, a tile they lay. She said, well, Dale, she said, you've got to be real careful. She said, the landlady just came down. My mother was just frightened. I could see her. She's, the landlady came down, and she told me, I'll tell you, Agnes, she said, get brat of yours. He's out in the hall scuffing up that linoleum. And if he does it anymore, I'm kicking you out of here, and you're going to have to find a place. She said, and my mother said, Dale, she's real nervous, ringing her. She said, Dale, where would we go? What would we do? I took off down the hall. I knocked on her door. Four security blocks. She opened up the little people, and I said, you listen to me. You leave my mother alone. Do you understand that? Never talk to her that way. Then I walked down the hall, scuffing the linoleum with my heels as badly as I could dig him into the linoleum. In other words, kiss my gluteus maximus. <laughs> How old were you? Ten. Ten. So, deductive reasoning. Two plus two is four. I judge people by their heart and their attitude. I don't give a damn if they're pinstripe, Jewish, communist, Democrat. And uh, Muhammad Ali said it pretty good. We're talking about religion. He said the best religion in the world is love. That's true. Churches, synagogues, they don't teach love enough. So until we understand the best potential of me as we, we'll continue to have these problems. And people are afraid to maybe make statements about it. Let me tell you probably one of the great stories um, that made me proud. Never in my life did my biological mother ever talk about the man that left, ran away with another woman. Never did anything. And what made me realize how love and not being bitter, even though what situations had come up, one night she went to babysit. There's no television, no radio. I'm nine years old. Her Bible was there, so I went to pick it up, and something fell out of her Bible, and it was a letter. I picked it up, and it said, Charles A. Brown. I had no idea who Charles A. Brown was. He knew Oklahoma. So I put the letter back in her Bible, and she came back. I said, Mama, I was looking at your Bible. I didn't read it, but who's that guy? Who's that man who wrote you, Charles A. Brown? She said, that's your father. That's not my father. Is that your husband? She said, yes, it is. Well, when I saw my mother, when I asked her, I said, what kind of a guy was he? Now, here's a guy that left us. Cold, nothing. No winter coats. Try that in North Dakota. Wearing a little jacket, didn't have a regular coat. I said, what kind of guy was he? She said, oh, he was a hard worker. He was a real nice man. I said, Mama, if he was so nice... Why did he abandon us and never contact us? She said, well, he fell in love with another woman and just left. My mother's spirituality, not her religion, her spirituality, made me want to be a better man. And I was far from perfect. I wasn't like you. I wasn't perfect. <laughs> so you, how many times did you meet your father? How many times did I meet him? I came home for lunch one time. Lunch with soup. There's a man sitting on a chair. And my mother introduces him. This is, this is Charles A. Brown. I just looked at him. Well, I just wanted, I was in town. I just wanted to come by, you know, and say hello to you. And I just didn't say a thing to him. 
I don't even know if I talked to him. Yeah, but how old were you? Um, probably nine, ten, that, that age. But you know, I, I, I don't remember any kind of communication with him. I, I, I don't remember hatred, but I remember looking at him and thinking, to be honest with you, I'd like to whip your butt for what you've done to my mother. I didn't, and I didn't say anything. Years go by, I'm a senior in high school. I'm in a Latin class. I knock on the door. I hear the priest goes out. I hear a man, I hear a voice say, is Dale Brown in your class? Yeah. Can I talk to him? So I go out in the hall. And I hadn't seen him since I've been nine. I don't even remember what he looked like. I go out in the hall and he said, uh, Dale Brown, he said, I'm your, I'm your father. I'm Charles Brown. And at that time, a smart thing to say was, I'm my own grandpa. It was kind of a wise-ass thing to say. I said, oh, is that right? I'm my own grandpa. I turned around with back into Latin class. So years later. You just walked away. I walked away. Years later, we need to forgive. Thank God my wife's forgiven me for all the stupid things I've done. Um, I thought about the guy. I could call back in. thought the, about the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I get called back into the service in 1961. I'd already been in service once, but they're going to go knock down the Berlin Wall, and I'm in the National Guard. So we get stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas. And we finished our physical training. It's a weekend, and I'm laying in my bunk upstairs reading the newspaper, and there's a guy next to me, probably 5'9", 140, got the name of Haberlein. And for some reason, I remember the letter, East Ash, Enid, Oklahoma. And I go get the map. Hell, we're in Kansas. So I said, Mike, let's go to Oklahoma and have some fun, okay? What are we going to do up there? Hell, I don't know. Come on. I didn't want to tell him. So we go to Oklahoma. So I go in a store, ask if I can use their phone, telephone directory. There it is. Charles A. Brown, East Ash, Enid, Oklahoma. I almost had a heart attack. So I call him. A woman answers. I said, yes, is Charles Brown there? One second. Charlie, someone on the phone for you. He comes. Yeah, I said, Mr. Brown, this is Dale Brown. Who? I said, he forgot who I was already. I said, Dale Brown? Dale Brown from Minot, North Dakota? I said, yes. So where are you? I said, I'm in Enid, Oklahoma. And I'd like to come by and say hello to you. He said, all right. No, I said to him, I'd like to come by and ask you a question and then tell you something. How do I get to your house? So we get out of the car, and I'm 6'3", 220. My buddy's 5'9", 140. He can't remember what I look at. Which one's my son? I said, I'm Dale Brown. We go in the house. His present wife, I believe he was a bigamist. His present wife made coffee. We got done. I said, Mr. Brown, could you and I walk outside and talk for a minute? So he said, sure. You said Mr. Brown. Yes. I said, I came here for two reasons. I came here, number one, I want to forgive you. And I held my hand out, shook it. And I said, the second reason I came, and boy, now I was steaming. I wanted to smash his face in so badly or tackle him. I said, how in the hell can you do what you did to my mother? Leave her alone, starving, has to dig and help and be a maid to other people. Never once helped. How in the hell can you do something like that? A, a baby, a child. You didn't know if I was in prison. Was I a good kid? Was I a bad kid? 
I came to ask you that question. Well, I never got the answer. He, uh, well, you know, Dale, I, I was, you know, I was wrong. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I fell in love with this other woman and what have you. So I said, fine. And then I shook his hand when I left and said, well, again, I forgive you. That was kind of phony in a way. A couple years later, when my sister called me and told me he died, you'd have thought a bird fell out of a tree or something and died, or an ant died. Okay, I wasn't mad, I wasn't happy. Today, I'm disappointed in myself that I wasn't man enough to say, I do forgive you, which I really, I did, but I didn't type of thing. You know, and the reason I say that, Oscar Wilde, He's one of the great playwrights of all time. And he discussed, there's eight billion of us on earth right now. And he discussed all eight billion of us pretty well. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. So Dale Brown, don't be so judgmental. But I couldn't have had a better mother and thank God for sports, saved my life. And that's what I wanted to do with kids. I wanted to save their life. If people knew, and then this... Where you graduated from again? I went to a... I played all sports. In high school. You, you was everything in high school, yeah. in all sports, right? Yeah, in a little tiny town I was living in. <laughs> a polio victim could have been in. <laughs> but, but anyway, yes. I'm the only person in the history of the school to get at college 12 letters in football, basketball, and track. And it, it got me through college. But at that time, then I really developed a quest for learning. I wanted to read. I wanted to find out about history. And if you'll go back into history, it's, it's pretty simple, no matter what. Now, I happen to be very close friends to a lot of civil rights icons. Oh, I do know that. Dick Gregory, who's one of the toughest, best guys dead now. Dr. Harry Edwards, who's now the civil rights icon. I met Martin Luther King's son. I didn't get to meet him. And... Uh, they're all good, strong people. And it's the minority. A majority of people are good, but they're followers. It's like our political arena now. It's a joke. Um, Booker T. Washington, who came out of a slave family, educated himself, helped build Tuskegee University, counseled numerous presidents. He made a profound statement that stuck with me about being leadership. The role of most leaders is to get the people to think more of the leader. The role of the exceptional leader is to get the people to think more of themselves. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I did not vote for Trump. I did not vote for Biden. I did not vote for Hillary Clinton. I looked to see people that had a philosophy like I did. And um, so how did you end up all the way from the north down to the south, from North Dakota, a miracle. Um, and you, you arrived here in 1972? Right on the button. Uh, I don't want to get to... I'm not a religious person. I hope I'm a spiritual person. I think religion is man-made. I think spirituality is following the Ten Commandments, loving people, and etc. But... Um, I think, that, I think there was a little bit of luck in everything. I didn't dislike being a high school coach, but you know what I disliked? Week before school, superintendent would come up to me and say, Dale, the chemistry teacher, she's going to have a baby. You've got to teach chemistry. I'd say, hold on. I don't even know how to light a Bunsen burner. 
That's okay, teacher. I felt like a phony teacher. I was a chapter ahead of the kids all the time. So I made up my mind I wanted to come to college. So I wrote letters. I wrote over 100 letters. My wife typed them up. We sent them all over the country. Only two people had the courtesy. And I made up my mind at that time. I told my wife, when I, only two people out of 100 answer. I said, if I ever get to be a head coach, I'll answer every call, every letter. I'll talk to people. Who the hell do they think they are? You've been doing it ever since I've been there. Yeah, I mean, so I don't care where you are, who you are. I'm going to talk. It was rude. So one of the places that I wound up was Utah State. They were one of two schools that got a hold of me. Then they screwed me at Utah State. I went to Utah State. It's all Mormon, first Mormon ever to, first non-Mormon ever to coach. And, uh, hell, I recruited the best and good players I could. Well, some were black, some were foreign, some were white. But now when it came time, they promised me the job if the head coach left. Well, the Mormons are very cliquish, and for years, you know, the Mormons didn't let blacks in the church. You're aware of that, I'm, I'm sure. I'm myself. So when it came time to give me the job, they told me the job was mine, but when it opened it up, they screwed me. The Mormons didn't screw you. They don't, the, yeah, Mor the yeah. Mormons don't screw like that, so yeah, they, they don't do that. They screwed me. <laughs> the Mormons didn't do that. So um, I quit the job the day they didn't give me the job. And you came here right after that? Um, I was thinking of getting out of coaching. And the day that they didn't give me the job, I went to see the AD and I said, you know what, you're not a man at all. You want to cut my guts out, why don't you do it at halftime in front of my daughter and my wife? I know why you didn't give me the job, look me in the eye and tell me why. Well, you know, you know he would never, never, ever admit it. Now, I don't have a job. I'm going to get out of coaching. And then Bonnie says, are you sure you want to get out of coaching? What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, I ain't kissing anybody's butt and I'm not changing who I am. I don't know what I'll do. But we'll be okay. Hell, I'll go back to high school coaching. So the next day I get a call from Washington State want me to come there and take the, take the assistant job. So I go there, spend one year, they fire the head coach, who I think had either alcohol or mental problems. All of the above. Or all of the above. And hire me. Well, I tell them I don't want the job. That's why I said He's got mental problems or something. He commits suicide or think I knifed him. I just don't feel good about it. Go home that night. Carl Maddox calls me from LSU and asks me to come for an interview here. I didn't have any connections at LSU. I mean, to be honest with you, I hated the South. Let me tell you, Frank, you know why I hated him? I shot German Shepherd dogs chasing after people in Birmingham, people being hit with clubs. It got nothing to do with black and white. It's another human being beating the hell of another human being. And so my wife said, you sure you want to go down there for the interview? I said, there's something, there's something that tells me to go down there. Dale, she said, with your bluntness, she said, you ain't, you're not going to have a chance to get a job. Okay. So I come down for the interview. Fortunately, fortunately, the athletic director was Carl Maddox, one of the finest men I've ever met in my life. The three men that sat on the committee, all white and all Southern men, were not my dream. 90% of the people I met in Louisiana and in the South were really good people. 
It was the 10% that were getting the attention that were the Ku Klux Klaners and this and that, and the other people didn't react. So we sit down at the meeting, everybody's very nice, and I'm at the last guy. It was Ned Clark, the name won't ring a bell with you maybe. He, oh, yes. oh, you know Ned Clark, okay. There was a university professor and an oil man from Lafayette. And he said to me, Coach Dale Brown, he said, we haven't had, we've had fleeting moments of greatness here in basketball. We've had Pete Maravich and Bob Pettit, but we've never won consistently. We've had 14 out of 18 seasons, losing seasons. Why should we hire you? Why are you any different than anybody else? It's a pretty good question. And I said, well, I'm not sure you should hire me. And they go like, now here, I want the job. I want to be a head college coach, and I'm committing Harry Carey. I must have Japanese relatives someplace. <laughs> so I could see they were stunned, and I said, the reason I say that to you is I said, Tell you up front, I'm going to recruit human beings first, basketball players second. That means I may have an all-white team. I may have an all-foreign team. I may have an all-black team. I may have a combination of them, but that's how I'll recruit. So now the interview ends. I'm going to go to the state tournament in Alexandria, Louisiana. I'd never been to Louisiana. I'm driving myself, and I remembered about halfway there. My wife said, call after the interview. There weren't cell phones. So I drive up and I see a little town called Bunky. So I pull into an outside park, go into the drugstore and ask if they have a phone. They had a phone booth. Called my wife and I told her what happened. Here's what she said, Lyman. Dale, Dale, Dale. You got about as much chance of getting that job as a kamikaze pilot does in a Japanese Air Force. She said, you just crashed. I didn't crash, you know why? There was good men sitting there. They didn't look at black and white, not one time when I integrated this program did anybody at LSU in the official position try to intimidate me. And when I went recruited, obviously there's some things you have. You have to have ability, but you know how I made my final decision before I recruited a player? Do I want him recruiting? Do I want him babysitting my daughter? And by the way, a lot of them did want to be. Now, others, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, I didn't. But I think what we do, and again, I don't have a statistical sheet in front of me that can tell you exactly what we're saying. 90% of the people in Louisiana were loving and caring. They helped my kids with jobs. They brought them to their house. They integrated their program. They let their children. They wanted to do better. But it's always the silent majority. And silence has always been evil's greatest ally. So yes, I talk too much, I'm blunt, I may hurt somebody's feelings. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But if you can't stand the truth, don't listen to me. I'm trying to tell the truth. I didn't think I was doing anything special. I loved my players, and I did love my players. And the reason I love my players, I grew up with no father that ever told me he loved me. I grew up with no coach that ever told me he loved me. And if a coach would have told me he loved me, I would have probably played harder. I was just a street kid. Hell, I was hustling for money with my mama. There was a bar down below. I had a lasso, and when the guys would come in with their girls, I'd lasso them. The girl, and I'd say, okay, and I'm 10 years old. I'd say, okay, the, the, the husband, the boyfriend, I'd say, 
I'm not letting her go unless you give me a quarter. And, oh, isn't he sweet? So I'd get me a dollar. So I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be. I understand it. And I'm not special. I'm just doing what you're supposed to do. No big deal to me. So, so when you arrived to Baton Rouge, you, you, you was hired in 1972. Correct. And there was not one, what you call, a player of African or Africa descent on the team. So there you made a, a conscious effort. There was one they did recruit. Honor student, great athlete was College Temple. There were no black coaches in the entire university in any sport. My job was now to go out and get the best. Remember what I said? Human beings first, basketball. I'm not going to bring a punk. I'm not going to bring a guy that's raped somebody or robbed somebody or criminal attitude. Not that I was Mr. Per Perfection because I wasn't, but I wasn't those things. And uh, so I slowly began to integrate the program. I'm embarrassed to say this for the for poor percentage that did it, but the death threats I got in my life, the threats my wife got, obscene letters, obscene calls. Why would you receive death threats as a basketball coach? I was recruiting. And what human beings first and basketball players second. And a lot of those human beings were good basketball players. They were black. A lot of them were foreign. They were black. Some people didn't like it. Um, Albert Einstein, who's considered maybe the most intellectual person on earth, made one of the most profound statements I've ever heard. He said, it isn't the evil people on earth that bother me. It's all the good people that do nothing about the evil people. So the sick Ku Klux Klaners that were burning black people's homes, killing them, hanging them, destroying their business, that was such a small minority of people. That did not represent Louisiana. Also, it didn't represent Louisiana. Was silence. You got to be able to speak up. So LSU always had a, a issue with change over here. LSU didn't have have the issue. It was there wasn't one person at LSU. Now, first of all, they knew if they did it, tried to put a bit in my mouth, that ain't gonna work. So no, I got no. Nobody from LSU ever said, oh, how many blacks are you recruiting? How, how, you, how many foreigners are you recruiting? I do remember a guy writing a letter. The audacity of Dale Brown, spending Louisiana money recruiting these foreigners. So there's always going to be prejudice. However, love is the most powerful tool in the world. The only thing more powerful than fear is the boldness of love. How do things work out? They just do. And so that happened in 72, I would assume, yeah, because yeah. you've been here yeah, since 72. Yeah, yeah, 72. So this, your longest stay been in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been there, well, what, 50, 49 years? Yeah. So, but also when you arrived here, you had opportunity, you was also with here to, with the, uh, the infamous David Duke. The mm -hmm. Grand Master, Grand Wizard of the yeah. Ku Klux Klan. Right. How did you deal with that coming from North um, Dakota? There was an incident that happened with Shaquille. Shaquille didn't have any more idea who David Duke was and the Man on the Moon. And he interviewed Shaquille. I didn't know this. David Duke did? No, excuse me. TV interviewed Shaquille. 
David Duke watched the interview. And in the interview, the guy said, what do you think of David Duke being governor? And Shaquille said, I could, I could care less who governor is. He didn't know who was running for governor. He was a freshman in college, whatever it was. So then, David Duke, on a commercial of his own, even Shaquille O'Neal. Well, I saw it the next morning. Who's standing at my door waiting to talk to me but Shaquille? Coach, he said, that guy is a lion. I never said that. I didn't know he was a Ku Klux Klan leader. He said, what can we do about it? I said, I'll handle it. And he was really shook up about it. So then, through good people, they said, well, he's planning to come to the, to the I, think, I think it was a Kentucky game with six, seven people. And I said, no, that ain't going to work. So I told the AD and president, if he shows up at the Kentucky game with these six people, I'm taking the team off the court. If we forfeit, we forfeit. If I get fired, I get fired. Well, fortunately, he didn't show up, but I would not have played the game. And I would have been fired, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, because Carl Maddox was a good man. Now, let's regress back a minute. Now, you said Carlos Temple was one of your first. He was the first. Uh, uh, the first. And y'all was on the team. Y'all received death, death threats in the um, early 70s. Okay. What, what We're at Vanderbilt thing? University. Halftime, knock on the door. Nobody knocks on the door. My manager takes off. A couple of minutes later, the manager comes back. And Coach, he said, there's some policemen out in the hall that want to talk to you. What? He said, yeah, there's a bunch of them out there with guns. So I looked at my watch, and I told my assistant, take over. So I walked out there, just myself. And the sheriff said, Coach, he said, that's some bad news. He said, we just traced a call, and this is what the guy said, that that nigger Levin Brown and that nigger on his team, Carlos Temple, come out the second half. They're both dead. We traced the call that came from a payphone inside Vanderbilt University. What do you want to do? I can't speak for Carlos, but I'm going out on the court. Well, it's dangerous because we have, I'm going out on the court. So I called Carlos out. I said, talk to Carlos. I was so proud of Carlos Temple. I could have hugged him and kissed him and embraced him and taken him, adopted him that night. He stood there looking at him right. This is a young man, teenager, they're telling this to. The sheriff told him, that's not going to influence me one bit. He said, I'm going back on that court. We had a sleep that night at the Holiday Inn. On, right next to the campus, we had a sleep with guard guards with guns by our doors and etc. But don't, I don't want anyone to take this interview wrong. 90% or more of people in Louisiana could not have been more gracious and nice and helped our kids get jobs and treated them like human beings, exactly like they should. But one of the other problems we have, and I don't know how long the interview will last me, but I can go on all night if you like. Um, I was going to watch a player at St. Augustine in New Orleans, which is a black Catholic school, basically. And it was a nice looking, looked like a football player out there with baseball cap on, St. Og shirt. And he had a hat with X on it. And I knew who it was. So I'm like, how you doing, son? I said, I'm, so are you the LSU coach? And I said, yeah. So I played dumb and I said, what's the X on that hat you got? Oh, it's for some black dude. Oh, black dude, what black dude? I don't know. I put my arm around him and I said, son, don't take this wrong. 
This is one of the problems that's going on right now. When a white man knows more black history than a black man knows, that's not good. That's Malcolm X. You know who Malcolm X is? Oh, learn about him. So. I, I can believe you done that. You told that story. <clears throat> let, me, let me go back to some times where in 1981, when you brought together one of the best college teams in college basketball, particularly in the, in the SEC. That's the, uh, it, was no, the best, no, it was the best team in the no, nation. No, no, I've said that wrong. It was one of the best team in the nation. But I'm going to go back a little bit further. The year I arrived at LSU in 1977, and you already had the great Cookie Man, uh, Rudy Macklin, uh, Jody Hartburg. You already had Kenny Higgs, all them guys was playing. But you had a, a doggone good uh, freshman team you brought about. Ethan Martin, but you had the, uh, the Wayne Skills. One of the great point guards in college oh, basketball. Ethan was History. Good. I mean, and nobody Ethan, knows about Ethan was, was one of the he greatest. He was one of the toughest. He, 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 he was a great conductor and director on that That's court. That's right. But you had a young man by the name of Dwayne Astronaut Skills. Talk, talk to him day before yesterday. <laughs> he and I became the best of friends. Did, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, when he arrived, he excelled so quickly. He done, you know, everybody would go to the game to watch Dwayne. I mean, we, we, we love Call Rudy. Astronaut. Yeah, we love Rudy. We love uh, uh, Cookie Man. But Dwayne brought something a little different. Ethan had control of all, Ethan controlled all that. He sure did. But what happened is that when Dwayne would come back to the dormitory, because we had the, the athletic dormitory, we'd come back to the dormitory, and the guys kind of uh, uh, shunned him, the other, the other players. Correct. So he would come by my room all the time. Right? So he and Dwayne, Dwayne and I would sit in the room and listen to music all the time. And he would come, then you would show up. And I would tell him, I would say, man, somebody y'all let that white man come around here like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? I, I told him, I said, y'all trusted me. You, you would come in there, you would greet everybody. You, you came to the dormitory on a, you was the I only sure coach, did, yeah. came to the dormitory yeah. on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. I mean, you would go down there, and I didn't, I couldn't stand you. I, I, I can understand this. I've been married to the same woman for 62 years, and she can't understand me. I'm telling you, I tell you, well, I let that guy come around, you just use it. We wasn't used to the coaches being friendly, you know, speaking, mm -hmm. talking to us, engaging us, that didn't happen back then. Yeah. Everybody was kind of distanced, right? And you kept showing up. And probably also, you remember this good man called, this, this young man by the name of Dr. Broussard? Marty Broussard? Yeah, you remember him? How, how you uh, know him? He was the trainer for football and then transferred over to LSU. Okay, tell me a little, give me a little history of that. You know, before I, before I do that, let me talk about Dwayne Scales. This is funny. Two days ago, I know where all 160 of my players are. I try to talk to them. I know when their parents die. I know when they're sick. I know if they, they blah, blah, blah. So I called him. And I, I said, Dwayne, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, and I really wish I'd have done a better job with you. I kicked you off the team. You broke a major rule. Didn't have very many rules. But there were some rules that you didn't, didn't break because they could kill the team. And I said, I wish he had a tough upbringing, and I knew that. But I said, I wish I, I said, I'm calling today to just tell you that I wish I could have maybe worked at Coach Brown. Coach Brown, don't say that. Coach Brown, he said, I respect you what you did. I'm not mad at all. 
And he said, I'm so happy we've talked. And we've talked before, before that interview. In fact, we were going down to New Orleans to see Johnny Jones' team play in the NCAA tournament, and Rudy Macklin and I and Howard Carter, and we called him then. But uh, it's, um, it's a great profession, and I found early in it that players really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Hmm. And when they do know how much you care, they'll listen to you. Now, not everything's perfect. Hell, I've been married 62 years. Hell, that woman is not out of her mind being married to this lunatic for 62 years. So you had, you was a player's coach. You, was a, you were a, a player's coach. You, you checked on your players. Even to this day, I remember when you was calling uh, Ethan and encouraged him to go back to school. Told him, in, I, I told him I'm going to live a long time. I'm going to get on your butt until you go out and finish that degree. And you stayed on him, him for and he, years. He got irritated with me several times. <laughs> I knew he was irritated. And one night I said to him, yeah, I know you're irritated at me. That don't impress me one bit. I'll call you tomorrow, too. Say you make up your mind. <laughs> well, guess who got his degree? He, he came back. He, uh, I want to revisit again Dr. Broussard. Doc Broussard, we called him. Dr. Marty Broussard. Marty Broussard. Uh, he was one of a character. They like to say he was meaning, meaning in a rattlesnake. I had, I had his class. What that class was, what they call it again? And did he have advanced anatomy? Anatomy. I, I would know. They put me, uh, Donna Ray Kennard, who was our counselor, put me in the class. I didn't know what anatomy was at the time. And Dr. Broussard was our anatomy teacher. It was, must have been about four or five players in there. And my roommate, Dimitri, another guy, uh, four, about four or five of us. And as we, one day he was getting ready for a test, and he told all the class to leave. He told the whole class that when it was leaving, he told all the athletes to stay. He said, y'all stay for a minute. I said, well, what do you want? And uh, so after everybody left, he, uh, he said, uh, y'all bring your dumb asses up here. So, That's how he talked. <laughs> so, so we all went up there. What's his problem? He said, look, I'm going to give y'all this I'm gonna give y'all these uh, these questions. These gonna be some of the things on the test. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> did he really? So, he said, "So I'm hoping this is helping you all pass. I oh. pass my test." So that was kind of that's kind of how you handled us, you know. But he he was pretty stern and firm man. You know, he was an honorary old guy, but he really did. I think he tested to see if people would how they'd accept. He really loved players. Now, he, uh, you got out of line, or you he didn't like that uh, he at didn't, all. Oh, he didn't play. He'd let you know. He was a stern discipline. He'd tell you, yeah. Only one man we know who was able to keep him under control. You know who that was? Not me. No, that was a man by the name of Herman. Oh, Herman. Herman Lane. Herman Lane. They were, you talk about close people. And who Herman, tell them who Herman Lane was. Herman Lane was, uh, he was kind of a, Substitute trainer, or what was he? Combination, kind of a custodian and a trainer. He was a custodian that moved up to be trainer. Okay, <laughs> trainer. yeah. I, I think he died before I got here. But okay. Marty Broussard loved Herman Cain. And what else? Herman Lane. Uh, and Herman Lane was a, a, a of African descent. Yeah. But he was the only one that could. Uh, yeah, we're all from African descent. <laughs> oh, that's we true. We all got started. You knew the mother of. Human races, yeah, but you know, so don't be bragging because you're a little darker skin than me, the son of a gun. Well, well, I, I'm, that's something for me to be proud of. Okay. <laughs> but also, you and I go back a little ways because long uh, ways. There were some legal issues that I went through, and when I called up on you, 
you was there for me. And I, I'm forever grateful, thankful, and appreciative of that. You even showed up for, to court to uh, let Judge Brady know and the prosecutors know the type of man or the quality of man that you saw me to be, that you thought that I, you thought I was. And to this day, I'm forever appreciative and thankful for that. And also, uh, you know, for people don't know, I was also your chauffeur for a couple of years. That's true. <laughs> I That's come, true. I had to come pick you up to drive you around, <laughs> around, around the city and the town, but uh, and I appreciate that. You know? Now, let's get back to what you just said. Thank you for that comment. The reason I knew who you were, you were a good man. Now, why is it the poor, who oftentimes are not guilty, and the rich who are guilty, don't get prison term? And I'm not saying the poor don't have blah, blah, blah. There's no any group that doesn't have bad people in it, but it goes back to the fact money dictates too much. And your situation, you got the short end of the pole. No question about that. You, you remember that day in court with the judge? Matter of fact, you came told me, he said, I don't know what's really going on, but the judge couldn't even look at you. He kept looking the other way. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I think it was you, Jerry McKernan was there, and uh, quite a few of my friends was I there. I think that one guy hated me. I can't think of his name. Uh, was, uh, that attorney, uh, I think he hated me. His name was uh, John Garp, and uh, the guy name was Lyman. I can't remember his last name. I never ever thought I was doing anything special. I mean, I, I never, I was just doing all I was right. But Coach, you showed up with none of the coaches who I played for. And LSU showed up. Oh, they didn't. Uh, so you was the only one oh, wow. that came stood wow. with me. You and uh, wow. say, uh, Jerry McKernan and wow. a few other people that, that, that meant the world to me. Well, you came out of it like a man, man's man. But you got short end of the pole. Well, you know, that, but, you know, but because of uh, my experience, me going through what I went through in the system, that's why count time exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, asked me, you asked me earlier, how did count time come about? Well, that's part of the reason how. You never ever seemed, were you covering it up? You never ever seemed depressed. You had to be hurt and mad, but I never saw you whine or anything. Well, I got through those in my early days when I went through my issue with my physical problem when I got hurt playing pro football. That's the you time. That so well. That's the time when I went through a lot spiritually, mentally. You know, I went through a whole lot, but that was experience that happened with that one day when I was, I had my my, my third surgery on my knee. And was I your went, beautiful baby over here? Does she know how good you were? Did you show her film? No, I, I you never. should show her. <laughs> Hell, they didn't have video head. when you were playing, right? <laughs> I had films. You remember that? Had films. Yeah. 16 millimeter. But but one day while I was in, I just had my last surgery. I, I left the Shane Hospital in uh, Gainesville, Georgia, came back home, and I was laying on a couch one day. And like it's like a vision that came to me. I'm laying on the couch, and as I'm lying there, it's like a vision. I just, I can't explain it, but I, I, I awaken and... It's like I'm an old, old man. I, I when age. was that now? This was in 1980, probably about 85, about 86. That's my last surgery. And when I awakened, I got this vision. I'm like an old man. And I look to the window, and everything is, I can't see outside. 
I can't see out, nobody can see in. So I got up and walked to the door, and when I got to the door, there was a bunch of like locks on the door. Remember, it's like a vision. Oh. So when I start unlocking all these different locks, I finally get to the last one, I open the door, and I see houses floating. And I see cars, like, like airplanes flying by. I'm thinking, what done happened here? What's going on? And there was a lesson in that for me. What the Lord showed me was that, although I was complaining, feeling sorry for myself, asking, Lord, why is me? Why me? Why this happened to me? You know, I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do all mm -hmm. this. And I'm having all these surgeries. And as I'm looking outside, watching, like, society had moved forward 100, 200 years. And what, what the Lord showed me was that whether I had one leg, two legs, or no legs, life goes on with you or without you. So that experience... I've never seen you whine or mope about it ever. Like life goes on. That experience yeah. taught me that life goes on, so you got to learn to make the best of everything. It's pretty simple with reading. Mm -hmm. Adversity only visits the strong, stays forever with, with the, the weak. weak. And by true. God, you're going to have a lot of, you know, when we're talking about Louisiana and Baton Rouge and what have you, I've been in 90 countries in the world in all 50 states. I love the people of Louisiana. It's a good state, and it's made huge progress. And when I saw that President Tate was voted unanimously to be the LSU president, what you I thought cried. About, what you thought about that? I the cried. First... I, cried. Um, I got a hold of him right away, and then I thought, I'm not going to destroy this great moment, but it's 50 years too late. Could have been done early. Now, why? Now, all of a sudden, first president in the history of the Southeastern Conference. To be of Africa. Yeah, to be an African-American. And I have not met him since he came to LSU. We communicated when he was in South, South Carolina. He's got five degrees. Five degrees. Mm -hmm. I and mean, hopefully he does some great things and trust that we're going to give all the support that we can to help along the way, but you know, it's going to be a, a long and arduous battle because he got a whole lot to overcome. Mm -hmm. But if, like I said, the same good people that stand and do nothing, I hope they stand with him and do something to right. help him to uh, maneuver through this process. But also, uh, we was talking about my experience, and you, was, you have been one of the ones to help me through my process. Remember that day you asked me, you said, uh, you are a procrastinator. <laughs> How could you remember <laughs> you that? You told me. And you didn't you get defensive. You say, spell the word procrastinate. Yeah. I said, yeah. P. Yeah, you're right. P. Well, it's P. I remember, -O. That like, I remember that like it was yesterday. <laughs> well, I'm going to spell it for you. P-R-O-C-R-S-T-I-N-A-T-E. Yeah. <laughs> so it means delay or postpone because you got on me really tough, hard about that because you asked yeah. me, say, well, you know, when I got back from prison and you was... It was very exciting because I had the magazine. I brought a copy of the magazine with me because I wanted to show something. I just so happened we were talking about this. The magazine. What magazine is that? Refreshing Magazine. Oh, let and, me look at that. And you wanted me to start this magazine again when I got back. You said, when are you going to start the magazine again? I said, well, Coach, I said, I don't see nothing refreshing going on in this country anymore. 
Because mm-hmm. then the magazine just refreshes. Yep. Yes. I say, I don't see anything refreshing going on anymore. Well, you say, well, God dang it, you need to get back in it. You need to uh, get this thing going again. Because you did a, every time we published it, you had an article in each issue. And in this issue, you know what the article was about? Johnny Cocker? Uh-uh. <laughs> I cheated when I saw that. No, it was about, you wrote about the native Indians. Oh. Just, just, just you start the conversation about, the, let me see, is it towards the, towards the back? See, Lord Cook, Jiminy, but look, Christmas. But also, I want to let you know, the, the person on the front of this cover is Lord Cook. And we are sitting at the Log Cook Center right Isn't now. Isn't that bizarre? Because of you, Coach Brown. You, Isn't that bizarre? You made this happen to have a meeting here at the Log Cook. And you know what? The, Isn't that bizarre? Look, look at the front of that cover. It says, Living, Living Legend, Log Cook. Cook. Know what this segment is? The Living Legend, Coach Dale Brown. <laughs> yeah. So this magazine is where the Living Legend wow. concept came from. Can I have this? Yes. I mean, you, you in it? You wrote, you wrote an article, but the article that you wrote, let me find it right quick. Oh, somebody been cutting it this one, huh? And, and, and there was two articles that we, that we displayed. It's right, it's right here. Oh. And, and what that say? What page is that on? It's, I can't see that one page. Right, one more. Damn. Well, I'll be damn. Look, it's, what it say is? Damn, it looked like a teenager. <laughs> And waiting for a piece of American pie. What's your conversation started out with today? You know, Lyman, traveling in 90 countries in the world, I never had a bike, never had a car, we never had a radio, we never had a TV. I used to sit on the fire escape at night and dream. And you talk about dream, do come true. You can't wish them, you've got to, everybody wishes they were richer, wishes they were smarter, wishes they were more in love. It's a waste of time. You've got to will it. But I've been all over the world, and Louisiana is why we live here. Our daughter's going to be moving back. She's moving back? Building a home in Baton Rouge after they retire from New York life. Uh, Two of my three grandsons are here. And there's so much good, but it always seems like it's the loudmouth evil people they get all the attention. They get the attention and strike out. And then people are afraid to say something. And there's so many good, I could name you a whole litany of people that hired our kids that didn't have, not a job they didn't have to show up for, but give them so they have some spending money. I know what it's like not to have any money. That's what was last when boys, when they take their girlfriends in the bar below us, <laughs> tell them, give me a quarter, I won't, I'll let her go. I know what it's like to be broke. I know what it's like to have holes in your bottom of your shoes and go around in the theaters and pick up popcorn boxes and cut them out to put them on the bottom. So if we could just understand we're all God's children, damn, it would be a better, until we will, we'll collapse. And unfortunately, that's going to be a tough one because the people who are in control, they're going to keep it that way. Yeah. And I, matter of fact, I'm looking in this country right now, it's like as intentionally... Uh, they're keeping people divided. Because you keep people divided, you can control. Well, divide and I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not, a, I'm not an immigrant. I'm uh, independent. I'm a, a citizen. I'm an American. 
I don't want to be known as a North Dakotan. I don't want to be known as a Catholic. I want to be known as a human being. We've got to start living by the rules of God. And I'm not talking about impossible things. And when we do that, and I find also that there's so many people that want to speak up, but they got that fear in them. They think, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to say something. And as a result, evil creeps in. And so apathy, and what I really discovered about apathy, my wife and I went to um, Auschwitz for over 1.5 million people were burned to death, burned up, incinerators, Jewish people. And we're going through the, going through the museum, and it was so awful. And I said, Vani, I can't stand any more of this. She said, you're always so impatient, Vani, being my wife. Dale, she said, just calm down. No, I can't. I'm going to hit somebody. I started crying. I'm going outside. So I burst outside. Anger is held, depressed, melancholy. And I'm walking down a gravel trail. And I thought, how in the hell can people do this to people? Take innocent people, put them in a concentration camp, gas millions of them. And I'm leaning up against a pole. I did not know it was a railroad pole at the time. And it was a railroad pole that took the boxcars when they picked up the Jewish people and brought them into Auschwitz. And I felt up there, and there was a little bronze plaque. Gave me the answer. Gave me the answer to life. It said the road to Auschwitz was built by hatred, but it was paved with indifference and apathy. And when you're indifferent and apathetic, then the cowards... I, I, I taught in public schools. I taught in Catholic schools. Public schools had more problems than Catholic schools because better discipline. But the bully, the bigot, you know what they are? They're just like snakes. When you call their bluff, they just sort of go in the grass and disappear. So people's silence has given evil a chance to exist. And it's, it's hard to be controversial. But it's a lot, hell of a lot harder to be wrong in the end and have to face your God and say, hey, I didn't do what was right. And that's the truth. I mean, think about it. And let me give you an example. I grew up in Native American country. Now, being in 90 countries, there isn't any place even close to America. That doesn't mean we can't be better. Let me give you the Native American Indians. They own this land. They discovered it. We screwed them. We killed their leaders. We put them on reservation. We had three, the federal government, had 370 treaties with the North American Indians. Did not or not one. We broke every one of them. We have a record of shame, none. So that's why the natives said that the white man speak with forked tongue? That's what they said in North. White man speak with forked tongue. That's true. White man speak with forked tongue. What has a forked tongue? A snake, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that's, hey, look at you, you rascal. But uh, also, there was time, when I, when I arrived to LSU in the mid-70s, there was guys, the football players, was talking about you, right? There was a guy by the name of Laura Hinton. And I think it must have been Lauren. Mike Williams. They went to get an apartment at Fountain yep. Blue yep. off that's of Holland Road. yes. And he wouldn't rent him an apartment. Correct. What happened? Tell, tell us that. You remember that story? I remember it distinctly. I, I remember all these stories. 
Oh, there's so many. Boy, this is a great, I'm not sure. And I've been around a long time, 86 years, and I'm not trying to stroke you. I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm telling you the truth. I said Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychology, and William James said the greatest kindness you can give a friend is the truth. Best interview I've ever sat on. Never sat. There's some meat. There's some feeling to it. And um, Are you talking about this interview? Yes. Best interview I've ever. <laughs> okay. No, it is. I appreciate it. It's that got good. some meat to it. Thank you so much. I mean, that might get, and, uh, might get my ratings up. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't need any ratings. Just you need to say, say, say it again. You've always had a good heart. <laughs> now, you remember that story about how you had to help them? Because the they, they didn't go to the football coaches. In the, this is in the about 73, 74. Yeah. They came to you. To, the football players came to you to help them because they would not rent them an apartment because of the color of their skin. I remember. And you... You went. You called down there. What did you do? Went down. You went down. Called there. first and then went down. And simply told them the truth. Right. I'll make it public. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. And I'm really glad that... Uh, I'm really glad that fear never ever took me over. It. This is funny, but it stimulated me. I'll give you an example of that. This made this this is a weak example. But the NCAA wanted to shut me up. These were three people fighting. We knew what prop that prop forty eight was. It was to you know what prop forty eight was? Mm-hmm. It was set up to keep blacks from dominating sports. That you had to pass these certain tests and I don't believe in that test stuff. Only three coaches out of 350 basketball coaches, spoke up. John Thompson, John Cheney, and the idiot sitting across the table from me. In the whole country. You know why? They're making $9 million. They don't want to rock the boat. If they cheat, they don't dare to rock the boat. If they think they may get fired, they got a bad record. So who's there? There's like three of us. They need more than that. And... I get back to Native American Indians. Of the 370 treaties that we broke, every one of the treaties, and yet, have you you ever dealt with Native American Indians? My coach, my ancestors are the American Indians. What tribe? We put Choctaw. Choctaw? Choctaw? Yeah, not Choctaw, we say Choctaw. Let me tell you another story. I'll test your 15-year-old daughter here, too. That's 20. She'll be 21 on Saturday. Now, she would have loved to have been called. When she's 40, she'd have been loved to call 20. Now, she doesn't like because she's a woman at 20, and I'm calling her a 15-year-old teenager. But anyway, let me give you an example of um, where were we headed. Help me. Talking about the Native Indians. Oh, Native American Indians. You ever been on a reservation? Yes, sir. A true Indian reservation? Because mm-hmm. yeah, my, my great-great-grandmother was part of the uh, Chittimachas right there outside of my hometown of I'll Franklin. Darn. In uh, Sheraton, Louisiana. So we would go out there. I'll be doggone. Um, the food stuffings we gave them were old military stuff, years old. They got sick on it. I mean, we just, everything we did. And Congress today has not officially 
stood up like men and women and looked in their eye and say, we are sorry. Will you forgive us? And I'm telling you what, I ask many nights, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive this sinner. They better get their act together because they, ain't, they got some good things coming up that are going to be bad for them. But um, two and two is four, and uh, I will um, give you a, a final statement, and then I'll shut up. We were, um, we were being investigated by the NCA. Fake, fake investigation. Totally 100% wrong. And I fought him immediately. And I was very, very outspoken. So the chancellor called me real nice and said, Coach, listen. He said, could you, could you lower your rhetoric a little with the NCA? He said, I'm afraid they're going to get so bitter they're going to come in and try to take our football down. And he said, could you lower your rhetoric a little bit? All I said to the chancellor was, well, thank you for calling, Chancellor. I never said yes. I never said no. Four days later, I get a call from Sports Illustrated. They said they're thinking of coming to Baton Rouge and doing a cover story with me. Would you be interested? Fine. So they came the four days. It was less than four days, actually. He left. He's already packed his bags away. And he said, Coach, in conclusion, this is after the chancellor told me to calm my rhetoric down. He said, in conclusion, how would you describe the NCA in like a sentence? They're Gestapo bastards. I never got another call from the chancellor asking me to lower my rhetoric. So an ace is an ace. And I think right now you're seeing everything I was trying to do is all coming true now. Not trying to pat my... Stupid you, you, on the back, but it's all coming true. Simple things they should have been doing back then. Yeah. And they had, they had the people. Here's another thing I don't understand. I'm your coach, and I'm making $10 million a year. You came out of a shack in the bayous with no coat, tennis shoes. Do you know how many kids have come to LSU that I recruited that didn't have dress, dress shoes? I mean, didn't have dress shoes. Go on a trip. And you couldn't provide it with that. I couldn't. But any rule that was wrong, I would break. Like, for example, I remember one kid's mother was dying. We called and tried to get the NCA. Could we help get him home? His mother's dying. No. He went home. Stupid NCAA. It's supposed to be National Collegiate Athletic Association. You know what it is? Not caring about athletes. Mm. They could have cared less. They don't know. They've, they, don't even know. they don't even know how to spell ghetto. They don't know the poverty kids come with battered tennis shoes, not a damn nickel in their pocket, and et cetera, and say, shut up, you got a scholarship. This ain't no damn cotton field where you got to go out and work the cotton. And I fought them all those years, and they did their damn best to destroy me. And they didn't, and they never will. Um, so this is a whole nother this has been a pleasant conversation. I don't want to end it up with a fist fight <laughs> well, with the you know, NCAA. But that's been a story of you. The NCAA came after you oh, uh, sure. several times. Now, now, that was a story about uh, having the first, you know, the first uh, NCAA referees. Your beautiful daughter, who's 20 and I thought was 15, that I met today. It was Samia right here. Um, <laughs> She's our uh, camera woman, camera lady today. We just have, how many children you have? Two. 
we have one, a daughter. I think the proudest I ever was on my beautiful, beautiful daughter. We're on a road trip when we get home. It's like 1 a.m. at night. I always went to my office to check to see if recruits called. So in the morning, I could get up early and call them what they, what they needed or what the question they had. So this night, I pick it up. Brown, you nigger-loving SOB. I know where you sit, and I know where your daughter sits and your, and your grandson sits. They come to the next game. Them MFers are dead. You understand? And he hung up. Whew. I thought, how can I find this guy? And if I find him, I'm being Angola. I'm going to whip the living hell out of it. He's threatening to kill my daughter and my grandson. So, boy, I didn't know how to handle it. I waited to the next morning, and I called my daughter. I said, Robin, don't bring Christopher to the game this weekend. Why? I said, just don't bring him. Why, Daddy? She always is a girl. She, she just, asked me why. She's just like a daddy. Yeah, she's why. <laughs> why like can't they? Little girl. I'd explain something to her the best I could. Well, why is that? The hell, I don't know myself. Don't ask me anymore. So I said, Robin, you can't do it. Daddy, do you forget whose daughter you are? You taught me to do what was right and not be fearful. Christopher and I are coming to the game. Man, I was so damn happy. Well, they had, you know, snipers in the gym and all. They caught the guy. At LSU football, they basketball game? I don't know where they caught him, but he got, it, got a prison term, I think, about. I think he was from Holden, Louisiana. That happened at the, in Tiger, Pete, Pete Maverick Center. Yeah. Uh, they caught him. What year was that? you remember? Ooh, I don't remember the year. Was, was uh, it the 70s? I'm not sure. So you, don't, you had a grand. I, you had I a grand. Yes, I can't remember, but uh, he got a jail sentence. And, but again, that's a small percentage. But that, the good people got to speak up, like Einstein's. Isn't the, isn't the evil people in the world that bother him? It's all the good people that remain silent. Out of fact, I'm glad you gave me this you, magazine. Wow. But, but that, that magazine, the story by Lod Cook. You know, and I, I came over here to meet him over here at this center. He's a good guy. Yeah, and, I, and we did the story on him, and we took some pictures with him uh, that for that event, and he, it, it was it was big time. I enjoyed I enjoyed him interviewing uh, with us and getting an opportunity to share his story. His story is similar to yours, and that was pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, poverty. Yeah, oh, that was very interesting. To How many countries you've been in? <clears throat> say about 15, 20. That's a hell of a lot. Well, I used to travel. So I didn't just That's buy, a lot. My first out of state was I went to North Africa, went to Egypt. So I went to Egypt in 1990. So from there, I'd never seen things the same. Yeah. <laughs> that experience done something to me. There's so many good people in the world. Like, you know, I, we get ISIS. ISIS is a sick deranged, demonic, killing organization. They're Muslim. But I know Muslims. My Yochuhak in Malaysia, Saba Muhammad S.L. Delph in Iraq, Majid Tobik in Iran. They, they're like you. They're my brothers. Uh, so, oh, that's pretty good. But the, the evil, 
we can get a few and uh, but look 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 our country's lost an awful lot of credit with all this turmoil we've had governmental wise i mean but it's been going on it's been going on I, I, as you that's what the story you've been telling yeah since i've been around it's been going on you know what lyman um Term limits, I think, would help a lot. And dirty politics is like dirty diapers. They should be changed for the same reason. And I don't want to ruin your show by putting that to him, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, Joe Biden been there how many years? 47, 48? Ooh, about 50, whatever it is. <laughs> See, I don't belong to any party. Nobody can figure that out. I don't belong to any party. The last elections, I have not voted for either person that won. You know, you haven't voted? I voted. I voted. I voted for an independent or a libertarian. The last time I voted for a woman that really was impressive. Can't think of her name right now. She probably got six votes maybe, but at least I looked it over and thought, boy, and I saw her on TV. Yeah. I mean, I saw, not on TV. I saw her on that computer I had. It was a long time ago? Just this last election. Oh, okay. Then. Yeah. But I want to bring something up, too, is that uh, you said you and Dick Gregory. I remember the time you brought Dick, Dick Gregory here. You brought Jesse Jackson. You brought quite a few people. But when you brought Dick Gregory, you made such a Harry great Edwards. impression. You, you made such a great impression that he sent his daughter here because his daughter was here for a while when I was at LSU. You know, Michelle. And, Michelle, yes. He told me he would never, ever... He hated this house. I wouldn't send my child. So we met by accident, too. Whatever happened to Lolo Jones? I know this isn't part of the interview, but I see a picture of her over there. Well, the, the great Lolo Jones, she's still around. She's doing, still doing Boy, great you things. You talk about great. She was super great. And right now we here in the, my dear friend, Dr. Andonia, Call it museum. He donated a lot of uh, artifacts and pictures and different things that he had in his house. Hey, you're hiding some pictures over here of a kind of an average player, the poor student. Oh, they got pictures of you back over Shaquille there. Shaquille O'Neal. Let, let me tell you a story. I don't know how much longer we're going to go. Hey, video some of those pictures. I do a lot of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah just some pictures. Right I do a lot of corporate speaking, and many times the, the person that sets it up said. After your speech, would you open it up for questions? Sure. And of course, Shaquille, he's, he's one of the loves of my life. They always ask me, tell us about Shaquille. Like, well, when he broke that rim down, when he did this, and when he got 60 points, and when you guys played Laola Marymount, the highest scoring game in the history of college basketball, tell me when he got this done. I don't say any of that. I say, do I know about him? Let me give you the best story on Shaquille O'Neal. The Lakers, he was playing with the Lakers, were playing the Indiana Pacers in Indianapolis that night. That morning, I got a call from a woman from Indianapolis. She told me she had a nine-year-old son, cancerous brain tumor. He was operated on. He's in a coma. He's probably going to die. She said, I know this is presumptuous of me to do, but could I have you... If you could have Shaquille just call me on my cell, and I could hold it to my son's ear, if he doesn't make it, at least his hero he could hear. 
And I told her honestly, I said, ma'am, that's almost going to be impossible. They're going to have team meetings, sleeping, shoot around, scouting reports, but I'll call them. So I called him when he's going to do something. He always says, got your coach. Got your coach. Two years later, I'm sitting in TJ Ribs with the owner, Tom Moran, and John Wooden. A lady walks up to the table and says, excuse me. She said, I'm sure you don't remember me. She said, my name is so-and-so, and I didn't remember the name. And she said, I called you two years ago about my son that had a brain. I know exactly who you are. I said, you're the lady's son was dying. You want me to Shaquille call? She said, yes. I said, did he call? Said, no, he didn't, coach. He didn't? No. She says, he came by the hospital. And for over an hour and 15 minutes, he sang, he prayed with him, he told jokes. She said, my child woke up and talked to him. And then Shaquille left unannounced. Had no posse, no posse with him, no no media. That's the kind of guy Shaquille is. You got to tell me that, tell that story about when you first met Shaquille when he was... <laughs> when he was in the uh, Army? Yeah, when he, he was, uh, in the military he was, base? When yeah. He was farther in the military. Yeah. Thought he was a military guy and he was 13 years old. And you know, for everybody that in life, who's ever listening to your program, we're all going to have tough knocks. And isn't your, it isn't your IQ that counts in life. It's your FQ, the failure quotient. How much failure can you take? Let me give you an example. One of the greatest players in the history of the game, after I met him in Germany and gave him exercise, he tried out for the high school team, his coach cut him, Shaquille O'Neal. He told him he's too slow, he's too clumsy, he has too big of feet, he would never be a basketball player, why don't you try to be a goalie in soccer? So Shaquille sent me a letter and told me this and I got, was on my way to practice and I put the letter in my back pocket the whole time I was at practice, I was distracted. So I got back to the office and I thought, now what the hell kind of a profound statement am I going to make to a 13-year-old child who just had his heart broken? Hell, I'm going to tell him about my life. I sat down and I wrote the following letter. Dear Shaquille, I'm very sorry what happened to you. But the secret now is for you to take this failure and do something. And every time when I heard I wouldn't be bound to be something, his mother's on welfare, he doesn't have a dad, I said, I tried the following and it worked for me and here it is. If you always sincerely try to do your very best and only you will know it, and you never give up under any conditions, sooner or later, God will take care of everything else. Now, I'm not a minister, like that you know, a preacher man. I don't want to be called a preacher man. I'm not a preacher man. I know too many phony preachers. I don't want to be a part of that. But it's the truth. If you don't give up, and it's what I've told, we said earlier, adversity only visits the strong, stays forever with the weak. Look at you. You're one strong son of a gun. You came through an unfair situation. You could have been bitter, upset, mad. You moved to a higher category. Because I'm I, I, like you, Coach. <clears throat> I don't want to leave this earth without fulfilling my purpose. Yeah. And I learned a long time ago my purpose is greater than football, you know, sport. Yeah. 
and it just take a while to start putting it together because I was mm -hmm. procrastinating. Right, right. <laughs> Back to right. you. We, we haven't talked about a dear friend of yours at all. And I, I would Santa hate to close, I, would, <laughs> I would hate to close this, this, uh, this uh, I wouldn't say an interview like them young folks that we just chopping it up. You know what I mean by chopping it up? You don't know what that means. You don't know what that means. You know Come what I mean? Them young folks, that's, today they say what they're can't chopping you it up. think I'm a honky? <laughs> well, well, with me, when they're chopping it up, you know how you chop up seasoning, Coach? I know, they, I know. They, when, when, when you add that seasoning to, to beans or some, some meat, it, it, it bring it to life. I know. So that's, that's what we've been doing. We've been chopping it up. We're going to bring it all together. I know. But we have not mentioned... What the hell, you think I am a white guy or something? I, I just, just a super intelligent... Uh, uh, good man, but Ron Appanetti. I hate to close without even mentioning Ron Appanetti because I, Ron's a dear friend of mine. He worked for you. You gave him opportunities. Uh, I, have, I haven't spoke to him in quite some time, but I know he's a he's a friend of yours. He worked for you for several years. Not a friend of mine. He's like a son to me. One of the mm -hmm. nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. Kids loved him. He was stern without being obnoxious. Um, he did things silently that people didn't see. We're playing Kentucky here. I've made this, I've told this to the media, but I don't think I've ever seen it printed. Kentucky's number one in the nation. They went on to win the championship. They're loaded. We foul out all five starters on our team. First time in history it's ever been done. I'm very positive, but now I'm thinking, holy hell. Ethan was the last one to foul out. Hell, I got nobody to put in. And just for a moment, I'm not saying I was depressed, but I was let down a lot. And all of a sudden, who comes big old smile over on area? Well, I can still see him. It's too bad for Kentucky. You're going to have to work another one of your miracles. And it just picked me up. He didn't want the spotlight. Good. No father. Raised like me, raised by mother. He was also the teacher of the year, by the way, in, in, in Florida, in Louisville. Oh, he's in Louisville yeah. now? Oh. And then he got a job at, uh, he got. Congratulations, Mr. Abernathy, for Teacher of the Year. Yeah, that's right. He got a job as head coach at, um, what's the school in Nashville? Uh, Tennessee State. Tennessee State. Mm -hmm. So I went up to watch the first game. <clears throat> and they were terrible. So we go out to eat and I said, Ron, did you do a blood check on these guys? A blood check? What the hell for? I said, they ain't black. <laughs> you, you, need, you need a blood check. That's the worst talent. He just didn't have any talent. So then he uh, moved over to, to uh, high school, and he's dominated high school up in Tennessee. Been the coach of the year numerous times. Just a good, good man. So he, he's in Tennessee now? Yeah, fiercely oh, okay. loyal, still coaching. And you're, Good man. Your, your other... Uh protege uh Johnny Jones who's my big my little brother when he Never got here heard him. Johnny, Johnny got here Johnny was my little John brother John Henry yeah. Jones he was my little brother so uh he won his with Swag national champion oh this, yes this past it's, it's, year. Uh, he won that he won uh, got to the NCAA tournament uh he had the best record in the history of the school at Texas Southern yeah um, he was he was he should have been given another year here. They were, they were too impatient. Uh, uh, ben Simmons came in and out and they kind of screwed things up, you know. 
he didn't really want to be here. It just sort of messed things up. Because Johnny had a flute player, a 7-1 flute, flute player that couldn't play. Hell, they were real good. But with Ben Simmons, they weren't as good, so. Well, I just wanted to make sure we cover Ron. But also, thanks to a dear, our dear friend and colleague and confidant and everything else we can think of, our community leader, uh, Carlos Temple and State Senator. Carlos Temple. State Senator, what's his name, Courtney? That they named the LSU basketball court after you. We're going to say wow. congratulations for the Dale Brown basketball court. I don't know if that's happened or didn't happen, and it's, um, I've had my court named after me every time I see one of my players, that's, that's a court for me. Um, but um, Carlos Temple. One of a kind. He is one of a kind. I would say, I'll tell you a story on Carlos. I came in, he was the only African-American in the history of the school and had all the heart intelligence. And I told him right away, early, I said, young man, he told me he thought I was crazy when I said, I said you can be governor or something. Didn't believe I was telling him that. So then he wanted to do so well and he was the best athlete, but he'd play out of control. He wouldn't be at the right place or right time. So I kept on telling him, you got to get it together. So let me tell you why Collis Temple's Collis Temple. So I said, I'll, I'll bench you if you don't now. Well, he wasn't a discipline problem, but he was just hyperventilating. He just, that's Collis. He's going 14 directions. So I benched him. Who did I bench him for? A 6'8", slow, white kid by the name of Ed LeBlanc from Catholic High. Wasn't nearly as good. So I said, he's got to now see that I'll take a lesser player and probably lose, but he can help us. That'd be the lesson to teach him. No, it wasn't defined at all. Never, never honor student and all that. So his father called me. I don't know if you ever met his dad. Mm -hmm. He was something, principal. He's seen people tarred and feathered. He, he, he was in the civil rights movement. So he called and wanted if he could bring Carlos to the office and talk. I said, sure. So we came, very polite, classy, his mother was the same, very elegant people. And he said, coaches, I was just wondering why Collis has been benched. And I said, Mr. Temple, it's pretty simple. I said, he doesn't know me from Adam. I'm a Yankee from North Dakota. I said, I've now benched my best player to play a kid that isn't as good as him. So what's happened to him, in my opinion, he's thinking that Dale Brown must be racist. He playing a white guy over a black guy. And boom, he hit Collis in the chest. Stand up. Collis, <laughs> he says, right now. See that man right there? Collis, Collis, do you see him? Yeah. He says, when you're here, he's your dad. Coach, you be the father when he's here. I'll be the father when he's not here. You listen to that man. Well, what do you have? And that's why I love that Temple family. And the other thing about Collis that most people don't know. Is he cheap? Yes. <laughs> I love this program. Collis, you've got to listen. How did you dare say that, huh? Oh, no. Huh? 
<laughs> Colin don't think he gonna think that. One thing, one thing about Colin, typical coach. Colin, Colin got advantage over all of us. Yeah, you can't hurt his feelings. Ooh, I love you, <laughs> you more can't now than ever. But he really takes. I tell him that, you know. Well, I'll give you an example. One day, he's taking me to this site where he's building new apartments or something, and there's an older black man that's a carpenter. So Collis rolls on, hey, come here. So the guy came over, and he happened to come over to my side. And he's, this is Fred. Hey, Fred, how you doing? I said, Fred, you do me a favor? And I said, see what Collis just did to you? Hey, come here. You ain't no boy. He call you by your damn name, or you keep on working. I said, no, we're going to get to another problem. Collis goes, oh, oh, no. What do you make an hour with Collis as a, as a carpenter? He told me, and I said, I'll get you a job tomorrow, twice as much. So Carlos said, let's get the hell out of here. He said. So he never gets defensive. He never once says, you ain't my damn coach anymore. Shut the hell up. But he, he's a good man, very good man. I'd, uh, I'd want him in a battle with me. He's going to stand up. They think of Board of Supervisors, any of those in a coma, they're going to wake up fast with the Board of Supervisors. He's a man's man. Uh, he makes some things happen already. Thanks to Carla that we have a, a new president uh, of African descent. And one other thing happened. Give me what the second thing is. But also I want to I want to share I want to you to share a little bit about this story here. One day I heard what we who we called was called Chris Jackson. What his name? What that name is? Brother, Chris Jackson. Brother Brother Raoul. He told me that. You gave him the first book that he really read that changed his life. The title of that book was The Prince Among Slaves. Malcolm X. Uh -uh, Prince Among Slaves. And Malcolm X was the first uh, book, okay. wasn't it? No, he, well, you gave him one he gave Oh, him wait book. a minute. You might be right. You might That's be right. That's what he told me. Because I gave, I gave him several books. Called The Prince Among Slaves. Yeah. That talked about this. Uh, I think that is, you're right. I think well, that is a first that's what, one. That's yeah. what he told me. And I gave him the Malcolm X book. And, uh, and that story talks about uh, uh, enslaved that lived, that was taken from <clears throat> West Africa to Natchez, Mississippi. And he, he was a prince in the country that he came from. But he was, he spoke Arabic, wrote Arabic, and the, the Europeans of there couldn't even write or speak Arabic. So he right. was he was so far ahead. But he ended up reading that book, and because after he read that book, it changed his whole his whole life. It's one of the sweetest human beings and, and I've ever met. And he in my changed life. his name to what that new name is. Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. <laughs> and that's what he changed. And you ask me why I changed my name to El Diazobra. So, but also. You changed, you, so you, you was given another name. I uh, sure was. Uh, yeah. How long ago was this? Ooh, it's been now uh, probably 20 years. It very seldom happens. Native American Indians. From your, ho your home country. From my home state home gave state. me a Native American Indian. That, it means walks brave. That, now I want you to tell us how that, how that happened. Uh, one of the leaders of the tribe, I knew. And uh, they were having problems in the Fort Yates area. In fact, that's where I got to meet Billy Mills up in Pine Ridge. You know who Billy Mills is? Greatest distance runner in the history oh, of the game. Okay. Um, and uh, I got to meet him, and we became friends. And then there were different situations. 
He said, could you be our spokesman? I said, hell yeah, but I'm not Indian. But that's the most important thing. They're not Indian. Would you go to Washington, D.C. and meet this senator? He said, we're trying to get a Native American college. You gotta have some money. So I go. And the senator was, uh, he was at first cool to the whole thing. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to full court press him right out of his room. I said, Senator, let me stop you. I'm going to quit being nice. What you're telling me, that's BS. There's enough money, and you're telling these poor people that's their land, it's their uranium we're taking, the land we gave them, we found uranium and took it away. Don't give me that bold crap, because you're lying. They got the money. Now, I'm not Native American. They got the money. So there's, there's some very good politicians, but those that are trying to build pyramids to themselves, and then, you know, white man speak with forked tongue, politicians speak with forked tongue, and we don't, we don't hold them to the, we don't do enough about it. If you ask 95% of people, have you called a politician? Have you wrote him? Have you gone to see him? Have you tried to put pressure on him? So we're guilty, our apathy is guilty, and our lack of action, gives them the right. For us not, this is insanity. I was twice brought to, I went to Washington DC to run for US Senate and had big money behind me and everything. I had about as much chance of being US Senator and following their rules. I go to the very first meeting as a head of the Republican Party. And they, he's a big fan, so he took 15,000 pictures. You go in his office, and there were all kinds of sports pictures. He said, well, you know now, Coach Brown, if we, uh, if we kind of give you this money for your ads, he said, you're going you're gonna to have to learn to be more of a team player. Jeez, that rocket that they just went out of space with, I just jumped up, and I, hold on, stop. I'm coaching 44 years, and you're telling me i got to be a team player? You know what you're telling me? Partisan politics and I won't play it. The people that I represent, I'm gonna represent. I'm not gonna represent you politicians that wanna keep your job. And I don't care if I'm here for one term. Well, I called Bonnie right away and I told her, I gotta come home. She said, you made a promise you were gonna stay there for four days. Now she said, so big mouth, you coming home, huh? That's my wife, she doesn't know I'm a legend. So, so. <laughs> She call made you, me about your wife call you big, big as a thimble. Your wife called you yeah, Big Bob. Yeah. So I stayed. Well, last night, I met with the head of the PAC, which is the national organization. We're meeting the Capitol Hill Club. That's where all the big deals go on, and the senators and all the shakers and bakers. So the guy told me about the money they were going to give me, how many millions of dollars to run my campaign. And he said, but now what you got to do, this guy you're running against, he said, you got to cut, slash, and burn him to death. He says, he's married, got two children. He says, he's running around with his secretary. And he said, so you and your commercials got it. I stood up. I said, y'all stop. They looked at I said, y'all got the wrong guy. I said, y'all got the wrong guy. I wouldn't even talk about him. I would talk about the issues that the people I'm representing. He says, I think you misunderstood me. It's very interesting. Whenever anybody has told me, I think you misunderstood me, that's a damn sign I didn't misunderstand you. <laughs> Goodbye. I got up and left. 
That was my two trips to Washington, D.C. And they called you twice to run. Yeah, I was, I was twice. Run and I had a good country. chance to win, but uh, I couldn't in that environment. I wouldn't. I thought I could do more outside than I would inside, to be honest with you. And, and you have. I've tried. I'm, a, I'm clumsy because I'm too blunt. And all I know, traveling through 90 countries and traveling throughout this whole state, recruiting every corner of the state, there's so many beautiful, I love Louisiana, I love the good people. But the bad people get away, our silence gives them power and manipulative. We've got to become active and speak up. And if you don't, we'll all have to regret it one day. You think that day is, is fast approaching or has it yeah, approached? Yeah, I do, I really do. I think um, I'm not a biblical scholar I'm not a negative person. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher man. I'm not a evangelist. But I can put two and two together. Oh, oh, oh should I be able to? Uh, to you ask me to read, you put a collection of thoughts on life together. Correct. By Dale Brown. What year you done this? Pardon me. What year? You remember what year you wrote? You put this together. Oh, you're putting me. I'm years ago. I'm 86. I got a loss of memory. But I told you, I, 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 I shared with you that you gave me a, a poem to read. This, when you walked in, when you walked in the room, you, you brought the book. And I with hope you. you'll read one every week. I'm gonna read one right now if you're still okay with you. It's good because I saw this poem last night. And Is that amazing? And I, I was gonna write it. I was gonna type it this morning. Have Is enough that sister, amazing? Didn't have enough sense to Google it and, and print it out. I was getting ready to type it. I didn't feel like typing. But the name the guys of the guys from Franklin, Louisiana, are kind of that way. You yeah. know, they're sort of slow thinkers at first. <laughs> but this point, guys from mine in North Dakota, they're brilliant. <laughs> yeah, all two or three of y'all yeah. up there. So, so. But this poem represents our conversation to up to this point. The title of this poem is "You Got." The Cold Within by J. Patrick Kinney. It says, six humans trapped by happenstance in black and bitter cold. Each one possessed a stick of wood, or so the story told. Their dying fire in need of lit, their dying fire in need of logs. The first man held his back. For on the face around the fire, he noticed one was black. The next man looking across the way saw one not of his church and couldn't bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tatter clothes. He gave his coat a hitch. Why should his law be put to use to warm the Idle rich. The rich man just sat back and thought of the wealth he had in store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke ravage. The black man's face bespoke ravage as the fire passed from sight. For all he saw in his stick of wood was a chance to spike the white. And the last man of the forlorn group did not expect for gain, giving only those who gave 
was how he played the game. Hmm. The logs held tight in death steel hands was proof of human sin. They didn't die from the cold without. They died from the cold within. Wow. Bravo, bravo. You said it perfectly. That there, we don't need to say anymore. That's it. There it is right there. I'm telling you what. I'm not stroking you. I'm not embellishing this. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of interviews I've done. This is the most depth, fun interview I've ever done. Number one, you're excellent because too often, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, too often people will ask you a question, they'll do all the talking after they ask you the question. So why ask a question? But that was that poem, that poem summed it up. That summed it up. Well, that's, that's what you gave me when you walked that's in here. That's not, that's Wish something I, I saw this book. But you, did, you, you, don't, you can't do it all, just like everybody can't travel over the world, but you can bring your side of the story. Yeah. And that's how the universe have used you. You know, and I appreciate that. I wanted to be more than a basketball coach. Basketball was what I did. I didn't want it to define me. And I think when, when all of us, I told you every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Mm-hmm. Ed, Emmett Fox is one of my favorite poets. And I can leave tonight by saying this. Here's what maybe we should all do every night to ask ourselves. When you get what you want and struggle for life, and the world makes you king or queen for a day, just go to the mirror and ask yourself what that man's got to say. For it isn't your mother, your father, your sweetheart, or boss whose judgment upon you must pass. The person who counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. Oh yeah, Lyman, you may get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. And even today at 86, there's days when I get up and I look in that glass and say, how about yesterday? Well, you stupid idiot, that was stupid. Well, how about today? I'm going to make it better. You got to look at the man, man or woman in the glass. And sometimes that's not pleasant. I mean, I think of the mistakes I made. Jiminy Christmas. I hold the record. I'm the champion. What about all the great things you did? I... I'm proud of the things that uh, my mother taught me. I'm proud I have a daughter. And let me give you another example of what happens. When my daughter refused to not stay home, there were three grandsons. They're going to, this, this, is, this spreads like wildfire, just like evil spreads. And if, I'd like to close with something at the end, if you don't mind, if we have time, but but they're, they're going to go to Maui, which is in Hawaii. Man, they're going to rent a home on the lake. I mean, on the o- ocean. So then they sent me a picture, and they're around the table, and they're having dinner. And here's a young African-American boy. I wonder who that is. So I called my daughter the next day, and she has a beautiful home and a beautiful picture. Who's that young African-American boy? She said, that's a black Dale Brown. She says, he has no father. He has a mother. They live in poverty. He ain't going to get any gifts for Christmas. But he's in your grandson's grave. He asked to bring him. He's his friend. She said, I could cry telling you that. 
That's the kind of people. Now, how do you get that way? Final thing, and then I'll get out of your hair. We have to do this. What are the problems? If ever there's racism or bigotry, you've got to speak up about it. Number two, we have to be honest to ourselves. What's the problem? The problem is single parent homes. It's 80% of homes, there's no father in the home. 90% of murders last year were blacks murdering blacks. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stand up for a George Floyd sickening thing, but we've got to be able to talk. Police brutality, there's a lot of great policemen, but the ones that aren't, we have to call them out. Now, pretty simple to me. Two plus two is four. It ain't five. It ain't three. It can never be six. The damn thing is four. Let us just tell the truth. And let us remember, L-O-V-E, until we can get love in our actions. If you're going to coach just because you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to be famed, you're getting cars and big, big homes, that's your le legend? That, that's your legacy? You failed. Do those kids, are they better now when they came to you, or are they worse? Uh, do they have confidence in themselves? Did, did you encourage them to get a degree, or did you put them in? Of course, they're going to get an A in because the teacher likes athletics. You're failing. And there's too many good people that have remained silent too long. And this is our chance. We're going to make or break it. And this beautiful little daughter of yours, that's why we have to do it. I got a beautiful daughter. I don't want her to make this thing get worse. It can get better, and it can. And I'm optimistic, but in the same thing, I'm vigilant. You, you, you are very engaged I'm and vigilant. So I'm asking this question. I asked this question to Lod Cook when I was over <laughs> here uh, 16 Boy, years ago. Boy, was he ago. a great man. And I asked him, I said, well, for a legend like himself and like a legend like yourself, what would you want to be written on your tombstone when that day comes? Hmm. Wow. I'm not going to have a tombstone. Seriously. I'm going to be cremated. So I get out of that one. Oh, Lord. Uh, have I, don't want, and I, don't, I don't want a tombstone for this reason. Why waste the money? Number two, why have a place where people have to come and grieve? Now, I don't, I'm not knocking anybody that does that. That's your right, but mine, mine isn't that. I want to be remembered for my strengths and my weaknesses. Uh, I don't want to be praised for anything that I, I didn't do properly, but I don't want people to... I, I think it's depressing. Like, uh, I do, too. I feel the same way. I just way. think it's depressing. I, feel the same I don't way. think... I don't want my daughter to have to come to her grave and see her daddy. I'm in the ground. Worms ate me. So cremation... I hope good God lets me come to heaven. You're cutting it close on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we can pray now. Eh? Oh. <laughs> we can pray and see, oh. see if we can open the doors for you. start praying right now. <laughs> well, it's yeah. going to be tough. But uh, I got one. Yeah, get me, I don't, I'm going to let you do it. Let me, this, is, this is not being modest or humble. As God be my judge. I never, ever planned to be the national coach of the year. 
I never planned to be in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. I never planned. None of that was in. I wanted to help people. Now, those things came, and everybody has an ego. But if that's what controls you, if that's what you want, and so... And if I have any good traits at all, the few I have, thank God I got them from my mother. She was, she had it all. You give a lot she of homage and honor to your mother, so we definitely she had it know all. how you reference her. Yeah, she had it all. But if I was to tie, if I was to title your yeah. life as I know you and I have seen you, many people say he died, he died serving. I'm going to say you live to serve. Mm. I'm going to mm. have to say it that mm. way. Maybe I will have a tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, looks, that, that looks pretty good. I'm, I'm going to change my mind on that one. <laughs> but, but that's, that's no, the way I really, know you. And, and it isn't big shots. And I want to tell you something else we have to learn to do. Let's not be judgmental. It could be easily judgmental about me. Oh, that loudmouth Yankee, you know, he, or Bubba, he talks too much, blah, blah, blah. But here's one of the great examples of all the time. We are in New Orleans going to eat at Brennan's on Canal. There's three African-American taxi cab drivers. The cabs are lined up and smoking. We came by and I had a baseball cap on. And they didn't know the other two guys. One of them was a foreigner and I forget who the other one was. And boy, they kind of looked over to me and I could almost see. It was almost a despicable feeling. I can understand that if you're black and maybe you got beaten down. Hell, I would probably, had I been born black in the South, I'd have been dead at 15. I'm not proud of that. I wish I'd have had more Martin Luther King in me. So instead of me getting defensive, because if I see you wrong, boy, I'll get right now, I attack. Instead of looking back and saying, who the hell do they think they are? I don't know where this came from. No idea. I walked over and I said, hey, you three guys. And the one guy threw down a cigarette. They had no idea. Had sunglasses and a bait. Threw down a Yeah? They want to tangle, see? So I said, yeah, let me ask you something. You three guys, and I said, very good. You know you're breaking a rule that your marriage just passed a month ago? What rule? The guy said. Well, you better figure that out yourself. The mayor said... The three best-looking guys in New Orleans cannot be on the same street corner at the same time. So two of you got to decide. It just, it just, all the, they had no idea who I was, okay? And it just broke them open. I said, did you get that? And I was like, yeah, man. And they were smiling. And then the one guy said, he goes, like, boy, you sure look a lot like Dale Brown. I said, a lot of people say I do. I didn't even tell him who I was. But how did you disarm it? You ain't going to do it with bombs. You ain't going to do it with threats. You're going to do it with love and the fact. We have to understand education. Let me give you an example. Do you know the average grade level of a prisoner in Angola? Fifth, sixth grade. Yeah. Seventh grade. It was fifth grade. It's seventh grade. Seventh grade. Now, why? Numerous reasons. Inferior school systems that aren't given enough money, people not disciplining them enough, no fathers in the home, mothers that have to have two, three jobs to raise a family. Um, we go back to 
murder. Look what's happening. We've got to talk about it. 92% of deaths were blacks killing blacks. I got into a controversy. Wade Evans, Wade Evans, Wade Sims. I've been carrying him around when he's had diapers. Wayne Sims is a son. Wayne played for me. He's Johnny's relative. Johnny played for me. I love that family, Faye and them. When he got murdered, it just cut my guts out. I went to the house right away. And actually, I went to pick them up, and they were so spiritual and loving, they picked me up. So a couple of days later, a radio station calls me. And they say, what, did you think just, what do you think of that? I said, it breaks my heart. I've known that child, beautiful, I know the family. But I have a question. Where was Black Lives Matter now? A black man killed a black man. Nobody showed up Black Lives Matter. So the next day, one of my friends called me in the barbershop, and he says, uh, man, he said, today they chewing you up at the barbershop. For what? That Dale Brown, what the hell is he, racist or something? And uh, he told me about it. He said, what, what, what was the story? Just exactly what I said. Why wasn't Al Sharpton? A black life isn't as important. A white guy would have done it. We'd have the news. And I said, when are you going back to that barber shop? And he told me, I said, tell me a, do me a favor. Tell those guys if I walk by their barber shop, I got a piece of mistletoe hanging from my shirt tail. They can kiss my ass. <laughs> and that's my feeling. They were elated to hear from you, didn't they? If you, if you aren't my friend and can't say to me, Dale, I'm telling you, some white people are sick what they do. They... And I'm offended by that. I ain't your friend. You're telling the truth. If I can't tell you, we've got to have fathers in the homes. We've got to. Well, you know, seems, it seems like every time our community moves forward, the system made greater attempts to dismantle everything. Yes, that's true. And that's been continuation that's true. as my life has continued. And, uh, that's true. And the bill that's that valid. the bill that uh, Clinton introduced, and I believe in 1994, the crime bill, when they started in this mass incarceration, in 1984, started the mass incarceration of many. And uh, they were signed by Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. When oh, this, this, this three three striking out rule when it sent, they started sending a lot of so that became the I grew up in the projects <clears throat> and when I grew up in the projects in the sixties and seventies there was a man in every household correct the rules changed because they they say you you couldn't have men in the household so the men had to sneak in and out every day the women had to cover because they wanted to stay in the home. So the system has made conscious efforts to dismantle a group of There's people. There's no question about that. So it's all, and the Black Lives Matter, I still, I mean, when I read the, the history of Black Lives Matter a few years ago, it has nothing to do with fighting for the, the benefit of, of, of what's what so-called black people. It was for the, the LBGQ organization to, to have a voice. So, mm -hmm. I mean, Black Lives Matter had no, no purpose mm -hmm. for... Uh, what they call now standing up for the community. Now, See, the point you made about the prison system, there's no question about that. No question. However, there's a lot of people that aren't in prison that 
leave home that haven't been in prison. I don't know if my biological father was in prison or not. <laughs> you don't even know what. Huh? No, I don't. Uh, so we, we have to talk about issues. We can disagree without being disagreeable. Yes. We don't have to dis be disagreeable. If you said to me right now, what you just said is 100% wrong, that doesn't offend me at all. In fact, it gives me more love to you and more belief in you and respect for you. You said it like it is. Don't be some talking parrot or some damn thing. Well, I ran into John Kennedy at Governor Edwin Edwards' funeral Sunday. And I asked him, one of our, our U.S. Louisiana, one of U.S. One of US. Where was this you ran into? Governor Edwin Edwin Edwards' funeral mm -hmm. at the old state capitol. And I asked the senator, John Kennedy, about, uh, so y'all going to be able to work something out, you know, come together? Uh, no, we're a long way apart. His mind is kind of, everybody drew, they, they drew a, uh, a line in the sand and nobody crossing the line. When that was Monday, one of the, the first guy that entered the, the Capitol the other day got eight months in prison. I did more time than that. And I didn't, I didn't go damage the, the U.S. Capitol. Yeah. I didn't kick nothing in. It's I didn't, screwed up. I mean, they, they, they seized the Capitol. When you seized, that, that was war against the government. <clears throat> so that's okay. interesting. Did you know I got arrested? When did you get arrested? You was, down, you, you was down at the, uh, state, at the U.S. Capitol? LSU. I, was just, yeah. I got arrested. Now let me tell you this. My assistant, Art Tolis, and I were out recruiting. We were in Mississippi driving, came to New Orleans. We've been gone a long, whole day from LSU to where we were going. We're coming home at night from New Orleans. And Art, my assistant, bless his soul, was passed now. He said, Coach, you look tired. Let me drive. Good. And I was tired. So I'm laying down like this. And first of all, Art wasn't the best driver in the world anyway. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I hear kind of gravel under. You know, you kind of, and I kind of opened up. He's out of the car, and the door's open. Why don't I turn around like this, and there's a red light, a cop car. So I step out of the car, and the guy, get back in that car right now. I said, hey, man. This ain't Russia. I said, this ain't Russia. What's the problem? He said, put your hands on the hood of that car. I said, you got a problem. I'm not putting my hands on the hood of that car. I didn't do anything. And he has a gun and had a buckle thing. And he unbuckled. You see the little button things they have in the gun? Unbuckled this thing. And Art told us, my friend goes, come on. He said, I'm not putting my hands on the hood of that car. And he says, all right, get in the back of the car. You're under arrest. So Art says, go ahead, go ahead. So we get in the car. <laughs> We're driving, and there's no one of those screens, but the lights are coming up from him. This is how mad I was. I can still see it shining on his cheekbone. And I'm in the back seat, and I thought, I'd like to smack him right now and that bust him up. I, obviously, I didn't do it. So we get to the police department. He takes me in this room. And he says, uh, okay, uh, he's writing the whole time. I don't know who he is or anything. And so he goes like this. Okay, he said, 
you, you got to pay that fine tonight or we're going to lock up. And they had a bail bondsman there. So I picked up the bill. It was $500. So I looked at that bill. And I looked at him. And I said, I'll get you a badge someday. So now I go to the bail bondsman. We haven't got $500 between us. We maybe got 150 what have you. So the bail bond, Coach, what the hell are you doing here? I said, that guy is done totally wrong. Hey, how much money you got? So we gave him 150 and what have you. Well, make a long story short, that guy also had assaulted black people on the way to church with his stick and etc. He didn't work in that police force anymore. So I've seen the other side, but then also I know the other side. So we, we have to be not blinded by just one side, look at both of them. And, uh, but, but Coach, the difference is if someone looked like me if, and, he's, and the police would have said, put your hand on the back of that car. And if, I, if, if one of us would never put our hand on the back of the car, what do you think would have happened? Same thing when he unbuckled his gun for me. Yeah. No, probably would have got shot. Yeah, yeah, correct. It wouldn't have correct. been, wouldn't been, it would have been, it would have been putting me in back of an ambulance. Correct. That's just the way correct. the system works. I know, I know this, I know, I know well. So that's the difference, though. I know, you know well. I mean, no matter how bad a situation might be, for whatever reason for us, it's like yeah. the old folks yeah. say, it's wasser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's that much worse, so. I've done what I thought. I'll give you an example. I retired from LSU, and I used to have a, minister or a priest or a rabbi, not, not religion, but just if they needed a spiritual advisor, they didn't want to come to the coach. I was very honest to the players. I'd tell them about my mistakes when I'd call them in. I said, I'm going to tell you about your problem. Let me tell you what I did when I was in college. And I'd see a couple of them go, what the hell he did? You don't want to, hell, who's infallible, you know? Be open about it. But um, what was this one point I was going to get on? Lost my train of thought. I did too. Missy was talking about, um, about talking to your players about getting, coming to college. What the heck was I going to say? This is going to be a good point I was going to make. Let me scare me. Re revisit that. Where was I headed? He talks so damn much you can't keep track of. I, I wrote about the end up with the Lamb Book of Life. Um, and you said it was a good interview. One of your oh, best. Oh. When I retired, talking about team chaplains, one of the team chaplains wanted to take me to lunch at T.J. Ribs. So we finished lunch, and he said, Coach, he said, this last 10 years I've been with that team. I really love those kids. God, you recruits us, fun kids and nice kids. He said, I hope I don't offend you here. But he said, you're always involved in controversy. He said, because you always lead with your with your." heart instead of your head. And so maybe you should think some things over and it would help you more. And all I said to him, thank you, chaplain. I got home that night, laid in bed and thought about it. I knew he was in the office early in the morning, so I called him at 8 in the morning and I said, chaplain, it was conspicuous that I didn't comment. I wasn't mad. You didn't offend me. And I'm not defending myself for mistakes I made. You're 100% right. And the reason I do that, I can control my head, but I can't control my heart. What came out of my heart was my heart. 
I ain't changing. And that's how I feel. Now, do you want controversy all the time? Hell no, I'm smart enough to be able to manipulate them. Uh, I hope I'm smart enough. I went to a teacher's college of 500. Um, but um, I just say what I really believe. And it's so uncommon that sometimes it shocks people. Could that be true? Because how often do you hear the truth? What we've said today is all true. Everything we've said here is 100%. What you said about, what would happen if you'd have been black? I know what would happen if I'd have been black. John Thompson, do you know who he is? Coach. Do you know who he is? Georgetown coach, big menacing guy, played in the NBA, but he's really inside, just a softy, good guy, passed away now. But we were at the Final Four in New Orleans, and we're coming back from the Supertone, and we're walking up the steps of the Marriott, and I hear, pss, pss, and I turn around, and it's John Thompson, and he's with them. Rudy Washington, who's president of the Black Coaches Association, and he said, Dale, I've been walking behind you since the Supertone, and I told, I told Rudy, this is damn hard to figure out. He said, Dale Brown is more black than most black people are. How in the hell is that possible? I said, what do you mean by that? Because at first it sort of hit me. What do you mean by that? Just listening to you, watching you talk, and I, I heard your conversation with your friend. He said, hell, most of my black friends ain't that black. I never looked at it that way. I don't want to be black. I don't want to be white. I don't want to be Catholic. I don't want to be a Democrat. I want to be a human being. And I know all my flaws. I'm far from perfect, except my wife would never ever do. My wife is the most honest person in the world. Oh, she, she more honest than you are. You want a, you want a, you want a person that's going to tell it exactly like it is? You know, you, you, got mar you and her were married the same day I was born. You know, when, you, um, you know when you got married? We got married uh, 14 days after. You were born January 13, January 3rd, 1959. Right. We were married on the 17th of January. Oh, the 17th. I thought it was 1959. Yeah. Yo, okay. How did you know that? Because <laughs> I, I, I read that several years ago. Uh, I read when you was married on the... Uh, I thought it was the same day. The same month, the same year I was born is when y'all was married. I'll have another story. And whatever we've said, you stay on the air. Whenever I talk to kids, I'd always want to be honest to them. And every time I called you, you to know, come speak really, to children, you be always honest. come. We thank you. I, I didn't want to. I wanted to be honest about my weaknesses. Just be honest. Be honest to your kids. My daughter knows every one of my weaknesses. You ever met my daughter? One time. Quite some time ago. She ain't afraid of anybody. Get it from a dad. No, she's not afraid of anybody. <laughs> and a mama. Yeah. Yeah, her little mama stuff, too. But, well, I mean, there ain't no, any more to say. Cause, I mean, we've been talking for two hours. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that, though. And I have, I have a short attention span. Well, I do, too. <clears throat> well, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm thank, thankful I'm not a trained, uh, uh, what's called, broadcast journalist. I'm not Jim Inkston. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I just do, I just do what we do. We just sit down and conversation. Know Again, you know how good this is because you've spoken nothing but the truth. Your questions have been good. There's nobody's trying to impress anybody. If it's controversial, it's controversial. So what? That isn't what it was meant to be. It was meant to just tell the truth. But you, you led the way. This would have been impossible without the questions you asked. And you have no ego. Sometimes a guy will ask you a question. He'll take over the damn show. <laughs>
Let me ask you this, before you can even roll up your mouth, you'll go through the whole deal. And I enjoyed every second of it. Oh, thank you, Coach. And I get bored easily. Oh, I do know that. I'm glad, I'm glad we was able Have to you met my attention. wife? Y'all let me in your house one time when I used to come pick you up. I just, you know, you wouldn't let me in. You know how you treat us color folks. She, <laughs> you got to come in the back door. <laughs> All I can do, I got, I got one time to the door and I was able to see the lake behind the house. That's close to I got. Oh. Beautiful home, beautiful location. I got to read one more thing to you. Here's another favorite thing. You read it from your book of collection. I wrote this. This is on race relations. You wrote about race relations? Yeah. About 10 years, 12 years ago? No, 15. Right there, years. yeah. Okay. This is what I wrote. But listen to this. <clears throat> 19 of 21 notable civilizations did not recognize that they could crumble, they could crumble from in. And they died from within, not by conquest from out. The world must learn to work together, or finally it wouldn't work at all. Let's give an example about working together. One of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports is the Boston Celtics. What was their secret? Once a year, the Boston Red Sox, who were a pro baseball team, held a fellowship breakfast at the Fenway Park, the baseball park. Rabbis, priests, ministers, Civic leaders gathered in ecumenical fashion to extol the virtues of brotherhood. Um, finally, the Red Sox general manager got up and addressed, you're sitting in a sports building talking about brotherhood. May I suggest something to you? The best example is right down the street from here. There's a team over in the Boston Garden that are made up of whites, Blacks, Catholics, and Protestants. Oh, by the way, they're coached by a Jew. And they've been world champions for a long time. In fact, they have won the most world championships of any team. Everyone's running around looking for the answers. The answers are fairly simple. The harmony and living together and loving each other makes the difference. Now, how come people can't understand that shit? I can't understand how they can understand it. I think they, most people know that, but they just choose. Everybody want to control. Everybody want to rule. Years ago, <clears throat> how do you spell your first name? S-A-M-I-A. S-A-M-I-A? Tell me about that. About my name? Yeah. Oh, I mean, they would have to tell you about it. You tell me. Know, you, never, you don't know what Sabia means? S-A-M-I-A, right? It's Amir Imani. S-A-M-I-A. S-A-M-I-A. M-I-E or I? M-I-A. I-E. I-A. I-A. Not E. Okay, that is a... That's Muslim, isn't it? Mm-mm. That's nothing to do with Muslim. Huh? It's the Canadians in Ghana. Samia? Yes, it's Ghana. Samia. Ghana. Oh, okay. Most precious. Seems like, yeah. Well, I knew you when you were a teenager. Should I tell you something about your dad? How many football tickets did you guys get? Four. Okay. Remember that number four. Well, all the parents, the four tickets were all premium seats. 
in the middle of the field. But he'd always ask for one ticket in the end zone, one here, one in this end zone, and one in that end zone. Nobody could figure it out. He was giving the tickets to four different girls so they wouldn't meet me. That's your dad. Well, you know that ain't true because... I, I, no, look, I no. sold my tickets. <laughs> I'm lying about that. But, but but can I tell you what? Ask Collis Temple if he did that. Ask him that. Look, I sold my tickets. They gave they gave you good money for tickets. Oh yeah, we we got good money for tickets back then. They looked out for us. You can't do that these days. But with them, you can do it anything days. you want to do now with these new rules. <clears throat> so yeah, I want to read this something I wrote for myself this morning when I thought about you. And this take a few, take a, maybe a minute and a half to read it. I, I want to be able to put this in your obituary, obituary one day <laughs> when, I, when I read it. You wrote it's, this this morning? Yes, I wrote this. Say, Dale Brown is a man and a brother who trust is in God. He never meet a stranger and only lover with others about his true feeling, keeping it real and square. He has a grip on truth and righteousness. He's loyal to all he called his friends and expect the same to maintain divine order. He came from the North, but remained in the South, but forever traveling East towards the light that you may continue to enlighten others. Wow. His travel and studies allowed him to receive many degrees while giving wisdom to many who ask. He is the master of his universe, and for that, may God get the glory, and may his name be written in the Lamb Book of Life forever. That's my Ooh, word to you, that's Coach. That's beautiful. I'd cry, but I don't want to embarrass your daughter. <laughs> no, I just... This, this has really been fun, and you know what? It's too bad this can't be played nationally. Every minute of it. And anybody that disagrees, fine. Disagree. We, we ain't concerned about that. It's cow yeah, time. It doesn't mean... <laughs> it's cow time. No I've never done anything that I tried to impress anybody. You had a way with the players. <clears throat> I mean, with the whole community. Everybody... Just uh, trying to be a clumsy... Like, I guess I, I would say it like... like uh, how do you say it? Like Governor Edwards said, it said uh, those who knew him, they loved him. And those who knew him and didn't like him, they just didn't know him. Oh. <laughs> so, so that's what we're going to say about you. They just I didn't liked know him. You. I liked Edwin Edwards. Uh, well, I, you know, he and I got along quite well because we, uh, <clears throat> we served time together. <laughs> so that was You know the best story on him, don't you? What was that? It was in, is it Marksville where he's from? Well, when he decided that for the fourth time to finally run for governor. And, of course, he was a womanizer, Edwin was. And so this one, now that he opens up this, he's going to run again. Anybody have questions? It was a young 23, a 25-year-old young guy in his late 20s, New Orleans writer. Yes, I have a question for you, Governor Edwards. Is it true that you're having an affair with an LSU 23-year-old Cohen? Is that true? It's an absolute 100% lie. Get it straight. She's 21. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. That's exactly what he said. Get it straight. She's 21. And he was a good guy, Edward Edwards. Oh, 
He did some dumb things, but who hadn't done dumb things? But he, was, he got away with a whole lot, I guess, so he continued yeah. his program. Yeah. But it was an interesting travel when I mm. met him at Oakdale because we, you know, I worked in the kitchen, so I, I fed him on a regular basis. You, you oh, have, you, you did? You, you have to sign that book to my daughter. I'm going to read something to you first. Can I use your glasses? Napoleon Hill is one of my favorite authors. Good, good writer. When the dawn of intelligence shall spread over the eastern horizon of human progress and ignorance and superstition, shall have left their last imprints on the sands of life. It'll be recorded by the last chapter, a book of man's crimes, that his most grievous sin was that of intolerance. That's said in one, one paragraph. Just follow that. That's pretty good. Coach, we thank you for taking this time out. To do I this enjoyed every minute of it. Wonderful, wonderful interview. Now we almost two hours and... That's unbelievable. And 50 minutes. That's unbelievable. Because of you. No, because of you and your patience. No, no, no. With it. And I really enjoyed this count time. And, I get and, uh, bored very easy. And you didn't bore me <laughs> one second. Well, I gave you a chance to tell you a story. Huh? That's what it is. But it's a, it's a wonderful story, and I had a, I had a chance to hear stories I'd never heard before. You know, after being in your presence so many times, you'd always a lot of great stories. So, and I appreciate that opportunity to share. And the people at Count Time, remember we got Coach, the great legendary Dale Brown, that have graced us with his presence, and he shared an open heart today. And I hope you don't have to have open heart surgery. But uh, <laughs> just, you open your heart up to us at count time. And always remember this here. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in once again to Count Time Podcast. I'm Brother L. D. Zobra. Thank you once again. Remember, it's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted.